everyone. This is Veronica Kelly, the Behavioral Health Director for San Bernardino County Department of Behavioral Health. We'd like to welcome you today to another episode of Resilient and Real. Uh, the episode you're going to hear and the person you're going to hear speaking to us today is going to be sharing some very real uh, emotions and experiences. So I want to put that out there that this could be triggering for folks. So please keep that in mind as you listen. I'm very excited to introduce to you Aaron Zamora, who is a DBH uh, County employee. Aaron, thanks for joining us. Could you introduce uh, yourself to our listening audience? Of course. Thank you so much for having me. So my name is Aaron Zamora, and I am a program manager too with the Community Crisis Services. So I oversee our com community crisis response teams for DBH. Aaron, you have a master's degree in counseling? Yeah, I have a master's degree in um, counseling psychology, which set me up to be a licensed marriage and family therapist. And I'm also a licensed professional clinical counselor too. All right, great. As some of our listeners know, May was Mental Health Month and our department is bridging May uh, into September, which is National Suicide Prevention Awareness Month and National Recovery Month. And so that means that during the months of June, July, and August, we are going to be continuing to focus on suicide prevention and addressing issues that I think are very pertinent to how people can better understand and start the conversation regarding suicide and suicide prevention. And so, Erin, I know you've shared a little bit offline about your own experience, your personal experience with suicide. Could you share that with our listeners? Yeah, of course. Um, so I really wanted to have this conversation this month, knowing that there's the work to bridge the mental health month over to the Suicide Awareness Month in September. I really wanted to speak on this during this month, which is June, as we're acknowledging Pride Month. Because for me and my story, when I was um, about 13 to 15, 16, and I started to realize that I might be gay, what came with that was also a tremendous amount of fear and depression and numerous suicide attempts. So I really wanted to be able to jump on here and share my story, especially during Pride Month. So other people who may be going through the same thing of thinking that they, they might be gay, if they have a family member who may be coming out to them, um, if you're an ally and you know young people who are identifying as gay, transgender, bisexual, that you're here to like really understand what what my experience was. And so maybe you'd be able to offer some support to somebody else too. Thank you so much first for saying that. That is really important for folks to hear because what we know is, according to the Trevor Project, LGBTQ youth are almost five times as likely to have attempted suicide compared to cisgender heterosexual youth. And of all the suicide attempts made by youth, LGBTQ youth suicide attempts were almost five times as likely to require medical attention and treatment than those of cisgender hetero youth. Could you talk about more specifically how you got out of that place? Yeah, well, I think more specifically about the place that I was in during that time when I hadn't come out to anyone, I, I did not want to be gay. I was hoping and praying that it was a phase. 
I was just waiting for me to come out of that phase and to be attracted to, to, to guys in my class and be attracted to the male actors that I saw. And I was waiting and I was waiting and I was waiting and it never happened. And so I started to realize, okay, this may not be a phase. And then it really started to devastate me because I knew that there would be people in the world that would hate me without ever knowing me, that their hate would reach me first. And as a 13 year old girl, I, my ego couldn't take that. And so I pray to, to God to not make me this way. Um, I, I'm not strong enough. I'm not strong enough to live life this way. You need to pick somebody stronger. If your goal is to change how people think about the LGBTQ youth, then you chose the wrong person because I can't handle this. So I made many suicide attempts. They were hindsight. They were very superficial attempts. Knowing what I know now, it's nothing that would have actually killed me. At the time, I really, truly believed that it would. So, and I kept all of this inside. I didn't tell anyone what I was going through. So what it presented like to my family and to my friends was a deep depression. Um, I isolated a lot. I did self-injurious behaviors, but at the time I didn't know that cutting was a thing. Um, we didn't, I, I didn't have that language when I was in junior high school. And so, um, you know, but I, I knew that pain felt good. And so I went through some of those experiences. Um, I felt like no one understood me. I felt very much alone. I felt very isolated. And so what really helped me was having adults in my life that I could turn to. So I had teachers that I was close with. I would stay after school and I would help grade papers. I would help um, enter the grades into the computer system. Mm -hmm. um, I would help organize a classroom, do, do, do that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was the relationship with a trusted adult in my life that really saved my life. Because at that moment, I, I felt, well, at least one person cares about me. I make a difference for one person. And I matter to one person. So... That really saved my saved my life during the first couple of years when I was, you know, in this stage of coming to understand who I am. And then as I got to high school, I had more teachers who I got close to and I came out to also. And so they were very accepting and understood the the trauma of it and, you know, how hard it can be. And I hadn't come out to any of my peers at that time. I didn't come out to any of my friends or any of my classmates. So, but they're there to like really offer support and continued that acceptance for me that not everyone in the world, not everyone in the world is going to hate me for this. And then music played a, played a big part for me too. Um, I'm a huge Tori Amos fan. And so um, listening to her albums like day in, day out, uh, the angsty music, it, it, it touched my soul. Uh, I'm still a huge fan. I still go out and see her shows all the time. Um, so all these little pieces mm -hmm. um, to together really, really supported me. Well, we are certainly grateful <laughs> that you had that support. And, and as you know, a lot of our youth do not. Did, did your history um, influence your career choice? It did. You know, um, when I was in high school, that's when I first got into therapy. 
I went to high school on a college campus, on the Cal Poly campus. And so the master's program, the master's of psychology program, their students had like a practicum with the high school. And so we were kind of offered therapy sessions. So I took the permission slip. I forged it. I got, I created permission from, from my mom. I turned it in. <laughs> and um, so then I, I got myself in, into therapy. So meeting with that therapist and coming out to her, and I think she was, she was probably the first person that I came out to. And she said, you know, we, we really need more gay therapists and Mm. you are very insightful and, you know, you seem to be like a good friend to other people and you're a good listener. And so she's kind of the the one who kind of put this seed in my head about possibly being a therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, that seed didn't develop until after I was already in college. And then I ended up changing my major to psychology. Oh. I started off as an English major. I thought I was going to be a high school English teacher. Um, and then I changed my major to psychology halfway through. Wow. Really, that speaks uh a great deal to the importance of having adults, just one, like you said, one supportive adult in a youth's uh, life, because obviously that make, made a huge difference and perhaps saved your own life. What advice would you give to someone who might be afraid that someone in their life might be considering suicide? The biggest thing is don't be afraid to talk about it. Don't be afraid to ask about it. I was scared of my own actions And if I had somebody who was brave enough to talk to me about it, then I think that would have made a big difference for me too. I think just asking the questions, just not being scared to to talk about, are you feeling suicidal? I think at one point, somebody did ask me, and it was in a group session. It was like in a group therapy kind of a session. Mm -hmm. And somebody did ask, like, who here has contemplated suicide? And I very hesitantly raised my hand, rookie mistake, because all the other kids turned to me and they're like, well, that's dumb. Why would you do, 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 do that? That That's like dumb. And I, so I was like, well, there you go. Like, I'm never going to participate again. And I'm never going to be honest about this again, because there was a lot of judgment based on that too. Mm-hmm. So I think just being open, asking the questions, asking them, you know, do you like, have you thought about it? You know, have you, have you thought of a plan? Have you ever tried? And then taking that information and getting them somewhere safe. So whether it's reaching out to a mental health professional, um, you don't have to be a mental health professional to ask any of these questions. Anyone can ask these, these um, questions. And if you're coming back with a positive answer that somebody might be suicidal, then the number one thing is don't leave them alone. Make sure you either get them to somebody who can support them with the next steps on being safe, or, you know, we have so many options here in the county too, with, you know, not only CCRT and um, all of the support that we have here at DBH, but we have the crisis walk-in centers and the crisis stabilization units and that are open 24 seven. And so there's a lot of options in order to support somebody who may be expressing suicidality. Exactly. Exactly. So let me ask you, um, what would grown-up therapists Aaron Zamora, say to that 13-year-old Aaron Zamora, if you could say something to yourself as a, a youth, what would you say? I think, you know, kind of going back to the Trevor Project that, that you mentioned, um, there's also the It Gets Better movement. High school 
being a teenager is rough for anyone. And so just recognizing it gets better. You know, when you're young, you don't have the coping skills. You don't have the broader worldly views of stuff. But just knowing it gets better, not everything is is going to be like how it is in junior high or in high school. You could not pay me enough to go back to high school. I wouldn't do it. It was an awful time for me. And so just knowing that that like this is not how life is going to be forever. It gets better. Things change. People change. You will get to a point where you get to choose who your family are. And your family may not be blood. Your family may end up being your friends, your roommates, your partner, um, the people that that you work with, the people that you go to college with. So you'll get to a a point where you get to choose who, who your family is and who your support system is. Excellent, excellent words of advice. Um, As we close, I just want to remind everyone, uh, one in six youth nationwide in grades nine to 12 have considered suicide in the past year. And that's probably an understatement and um, underestimate because of COVID. And as Erin stated, very easy things we can do. We can ask the question, are you thinking about killing yourself? Ask the specific question, be there. So listen to folks, don't don't pass judgment on them, listen to them, be there. Keep them safe. Someone says they're contemplating suicide, don't leave them. Fourth thing, help them connect, help get them to a resource, whether that's an adult or it's a crisis response, it's a suicide hotline or their own physician, and then follow up. Check and make sure that they're doing okay. The National Suicide Hotline number is 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-TALK. And I so appreciate your um, ability to reach out to us, Erin, and share your story. I think it's a story that resonates with everyone um, who's going to be listening to us. As you said, it's important in particular now that we start the conversation because it does get better. Any parting words? So one of the things that I've done is I've grown as an adult. I make sure that I come out early and I come out soon with, with um, people because I know that looking at me, I don't necessarily present as, as a gay. I look like, you know, a middle-aged suburban mom, which I am, <laughs> except for um, our, our house has a rainbow pride flag outside. Mine too. And so I make sure that I come out early. I come out soon. So people can start to see that gay people come in all shapes, all sizes, all kinds of presentations. It's not the, you know, the kind of stereotyped version that you always see. For me, it just helps me to understand or to support other people to know that, you know, gay people are your neighbors. They're your friends. They're your teachers. They're all around you. And so even though I don't necessarily present as gay and someone looking at me wouldn't know it. It's important for me to share that. And so coming out is an ongoing thing forever. It never ends. You never come out just once. And now, now I'm uh, out. You have to come out again and again and again. Right. Thank you for saying that. Cause I know that does add a lot of stress and it makes folks nervous on all sides. Um, and, and as you stated, perceptions vary in how we identify someone who might be LGBTQ or who who might be um, heterosexual. I think um, your point the entire time has been really about the standard love is love and people are people. So again, we appreciate so much that you're bringing those points up for everyone.
No, thank you so much for having me. And, you know, I'm just really happy to be able to share my story. And if it makes a difference for one person, for one LGBTQ youth, for one ally, then I think it's it's important. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And for our, our listeners out there, um, we will catch you on the well side. Being resilient and real also means practicing self-care, whether that means going on a hike, reading a book, or putting down our phones. So each episode will feature a DBH employee and share how they practice self-care in a segment we call Self-Care Corner. My name is Dina Kale, and I'm the wellness coordinator uh, for the employees in the Department of Behavioral Health. How I practice self-care um, really begins with sort of the basics for me, sticking to a bedtime every night, doing a really good job with regulating my sleep schedule, I found made a really big difference in my overall health, uh, mentally, physically, and all of that. So um, sticking to my bedtime is really important to me. And also watching um, the nutrients that go into my body. I notice that I feel better when I eat better. For instance, if I eat sugar or junk, or I just, I notice that I don't feel as good. And, you know, when I, when I try to approach the day, I'm just not at my best when I don't eat well. You know, I'm not perfect. And of course, I still eat junk and enjoy it very much. <laughs> but I notice that for me, self-care has to start with those basics of of sleep and and good nutrition. I think that it's really important for people to know what works best for them. So it starts with being introspective. It's important to recognize, you know, how you respond to sleep and the food you put in your body, but then also how do you perform or feel with other things going on in your life? For instance, if, you know, talking to a particular friend just leaves you drained and unhappy or, you know, any kind of contact with other people, if it really is damaging for your your mental and emotional health, it might be time to take a look at what you, you know, what you can change to protect your own mental health. You know, I'm not a big fan of staying in close contact or relationship with family and friends that are toxic or damaging to the relationship in some way, because our, our emotional and mental health is just so much more important for us to be able to perform in our day-to-day life. So that's that's the beginning. So this introspection, right? And also finding what brings them joy. So if you look at the areas of your life that bring you joy, are you doing that on a regular basis? For instance, if you just really enjoy painting, are you doing that? So finding areas of your life that bring you joy is is really important to you know maintaining your mental health. Don't forget to follow DBH on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for all things DBH. And subscribe to this podcast today to be updated when the next one drops. Until next time, live life resilient and real.